a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, if you've got Bibles with you, if you'd like to uh, find the book of James, please. We're going to look at James chapter 1 this morning. And we're going to start this morning a small mini-series, which we're going to run through this summer, on the book of James. And uh, we're going to be looking at a chapter each week. And uh, I was saying to Adam earlier, who's looking at James 2 next week, that in this sort of time frame, it's impossible to sort of preach through each verse exegetically and, you know, do it verse by verse. There just isn't time to do that. But I would like us to do a a brief overview over the next few weeks of the book of James. So I'd encourage you, if you're uh, looking for something to read, maybe this week you might want to read through the book of James. It's only quite short. There are only five chapters. Uh, You can probably get through it quite quickly. But it would help you to have an idea of what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And uh, this will take us through uh, to the end of August. uh, And then we'll begin some other things Uh, in September when we start meeting at Quad. So uh, the book of James it is for the next few weeks at least. And if you found it by now, I hope we'll look at James chapter 1. I'm reading from the NIV. It says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Okay, a little bit of background before we get into this passage. The letter, unsurprisingly enough, is uh, uh, attributed to James, largely because he introduces himself in verse 1 of chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's him that's writing the letter. That's his headed paper, if you like. And it's generally accepted that, uh, that James is the brother of Jesus. Uh, if you like, perhaps more accurately, the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary. And uh, we find James as a church leader in Jerusalem. And you also come across him in Acts chapter 15, where you may be familiar with what's called the Council at Jerusalem, the Council of Jerusalem. And you find James sort of summing up at the end there. And you find him taking a lead in it. In Galatians 2 verse 9, the Apostle Paul calls James a pillar in the church, a pillar in the church. And just before we get into this, I found out quite interesting thinking about James this week. I wonder, would you be described as a pillar in the church? Are you a pillar? And it doesn't necessarily mean leader. It could do, but I don't think it has to. A pillar, if you know anything about building, a pillar is something that carries weight, isn't it? And it would help hold a building up. And uh, you might call it load-bearing, perhaps. Well, you know, James is described as a pillar in the church. I wonder if you're a pillar in the church. Can you be relied upon, trusted? Do you bear weight like a pillar would bear weight in a building? You know, I can think of a few pillars in Jubilee. May not be always upfront people who you might see, might see up here, necessarily. But nevertheless, are pillars thoroughly and bear weight and uh, helping God's mission in his church. I wonder, are you a pillar? I reckon it's good to be described as a pillar. And uh, it's how Paul described James. And so the letter here that James writes isn't being sent necessarily to a particular church. You know, you find some of Paul's letters being sent to a particular congregation. That isn't so with the letter of James here. We find it being sent to the church at large. And the most likely uh, churches that have got a Jewish origin, particularly in Palestine or Syria. And uh, we're going to look at a few things this morning in James chapter 1. But if you've never read the letter before, you may think, oh, well, James refers to that a little bit later. And there are a number of things in this particular chapter that James comes back to. So in some ways, it's a bit like an overture. If you've ever been to a, a classical concert, if you know anything about classical music, you might find an overture at the beginning uh, of a particular piece or beginning of a particular opera, perhaps. You might find an overture that gives you an example, it gives you intro- introductions, if you like, to the things that are going to come on later in the evening. Well, that's what James is doing here. There's some stuff we're going to look at, but as well as that, there are some themes that James is introducing us to that we're going to come back to. 
And we're going to come back, I hope, those of you who are preaching in the next few weeks. This is a hint, by the way, for some of you. We're going to come back to these themes in, in coming weeks. Take notes, those of you who will be looking at those things. But this morning there are three things that I want us to look at. And uh, not necessarily look at all the themes that we're going to be coming back to, because there's, there's stuff that James addresses in further detail later in the letter. We're going to look at handling trials, receiving wisdom, and handling temptation. That's what we're going to look at. There's, there's lots in this chapter we could pull out this morning, but these are the three things that I've gone for, and that we're going to spend a few moments looking at. Handling trials, receiving wisdom, and handling temptation. So why don't we pray, and then we'll uh, spend a few moments uh, in this chapter together. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for your presence amongst us this morning. Thank you. You've already spoken to us as we worshipped. And uh, I pray now that you would continue to speak to us. Holy Spirit, please come to us. Help us to understand what we look at. Please would you apply it to our lives. I pray you'd help me to communicate well what you've put on my heart. Jesus, we pray that we'd encounter you in your scripture and that you would do us good as we spend these moments looking at it together. Please be with us now, Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so to start with then, handling trials. Handling trials. We've got James referring to trials in verse 2 and to temptations in verse 13. And both of those words have got the same root in the Greek. So there's some similarity going on here. And as I was looking at this this week, it reminded me of our study earlier in the year in the book of 1 Peter, letter that Peter writes. And it's the same Greek word that uh, Peter uses, in fact, in 1 Peter 1 verse 6, where, where he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And so we looked at that a little bit early in the year. Um, but it reminded me of that, that preach, same word that Peter uses in, in his letter, And when we looked at Peter's letter earlier in the year, uh, we we looked at what Paul had to say about trials as well. And in 2 Corinthians 4, verse uh, verse 16, Paul says this, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Well, I I could preach a morning on that verse. That's a great verse, isn't it? Therefore, we do not lose heart. Maybe we need to rephrase it as, Therefore, brothers and sisters, do not lose heart. Do not, whatever your circumstances are like, lose heart. But I need to keep going, so I won't stop there. He goes on. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Interesting, Paul says, though outwardly we're wasting away. Maybe you can relate to that. Yesterday I was uh, playing with a computer program that I'd uh, got a trial version of. Maybe some of you who are designers know it, Adobe Photoshop. And so Sarah and I were taking some photos in the garden and I'd put them on the computer and and I'd load up a photo of me. And it had got sort of behind me the fence. Well, that doesn't look like a great photo. So I said to Sarah, what I'll try and do is get rid of the background and just have the, have the fence. So I, I managed to do that after a while. And so I've got this photo of me. 
And I realised, I mean, I know you will not have noticed this. So I'm going to tell you something you'll be surprised about. But I noticed for the first time that some of my hair is going grey. And I said to Sarah, is that right? Is my hair going going grey? And she helpfully said, well, well, just a little bit there. I said, no, no, the answer you're meant to have is no, of course it's not. There's something wrong with the camera, the computer's faulty, the screen isn't right, you know, but I I realised that. Oh, no. So I I then realised that I could spend a while, I wanted to, re-colouring my hair. But I didn't. But but I didn't. I thought, no, let's, let's leave it how it is. I need to come to terms with this. You see, outwardly, we're wasting away. That, that'll be true of my hair, maybe it's true of some of yours. I look down at my notes at this point, so not to catch any of your eyes. But though we're, we're wasting away outwardly, inwardly, Paul says, we're being renewed day by day. And he describes our light and momentary troubles. Now, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you'll know everything he went through, being shipwrecked, beaten. I mean, you know, he describes them as light and momentary troubles. But he does that because of his perspective. Not because he just sort of stands there going, ah, beat me again, go on, let throw your worst at me, but rather because his perspective is eternal. His perspective is eternal. See, for Paul, fixing your eyes on eternity was the key to living through trials and troubles, testing and tribulation. That's the key. That's what Paul says. And James as well has eternity in view because he says in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So anybody like a crown? Anyone want a crown of life? Nobody. You don't want a crown? Some of you. It's okay, you can respond. You can stay awake and stay with me on this. Would you like a crown of life? It seems good, doesn't it? Don't you think? What is that crown? Well, it's not a crown as in a royal crown. I'm sorry to disappoint you there, but the word that's used in the Greek, Stephanos, is is not a royal crown as such. It's not something that the queen would wear. But rather, it's uh, it's used by, by John in Revelation 2, where Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, in Revelation 2, he says, Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. So we've got that phrase again. So what is it? Well, the word that's used in both of those occasions, both in Revelation 2 and in James chapter 1, thus that it's not a royal crown, but rather it's a winner's trophy. It's a winner's trophy. Maybe like a, a trophy that will be given at the end of a race. It's like maybe a, a wreath that will be worn or a garland, something like that, that will denote that particular person having won, having got to the end of the race and won, won a prize, won a, won a place on the finishing pedestal. It's like, you know, the motor racing, if you're into that, or others racing sport, you know, when the winner's there on the pedestal, they've, they've got a trophy and they've only got champagne as well, which they sort of equally spray and drink in equal measures. But they've, they've got a trophy there that's something given to them because they, they, they've achieved something. That's the idea that both um, Jesus is using here in Revelation 2 and James is referring to in the crown of life. That's what it is. You persevere on the trial, you keep going, you get to the end, you finish well. 
Jesus says, I'll give you the crown of life. That trophy, that, that winner's garland, if you like. And see, that imagery helps us. You see, we know that the Christian life is a race. And it's a long-distance one at that. You know, I wouldn't be the first person to say the Christian life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And we need to pace ourselves to finish well at the end and receive that crown of life. But you see, at the end of it, there's a reward. That crown of life that Jesus promises is your reward if you finish well. Maybe you feel like a marathon runner this morning. Maybe you've watched marathon runners on television, I know I have, and you get some, don't you, that just seem to pace themselves well, keep going, maybe stop for a loop break along the way, but you know, just keep going there and, uh, and get to the end and finish really well. And then you get others who are blatantly unfit, have never run further than getting to the bus on a Monday morning, decide to do the marathon, and really by halfway around, they're, they're half dead. And they're just flagging and crawling, and you know, they make it some days later. That would probably be me if I attempted the race. Maybe you feel a bit like that marathon runner this morning. Maybe you feel like you're, you know, you're just flagging. It's just really hard. You didn't expect it to be like this. You thought it was going to be much easier. You didn't realise the distance. Maybe you hadn't appreciated the cost that you're going to have to count. I want to encourage you this morning, if you identify with that, hey, don't give up. Keep pressing on. Keep going for it. Jesus wants to give you that crown of life. Keep going. Keep hanging in there. Keep persevering. See, Jesus wants to come alongside you this morning and encourage you to keep going. And maybe you've even uttered the words, I just can't do it anymore. I just can't cope with it anymore. Hey, hey, Jesus knows that. He really does. And he wants to come alongside you this morning. He knows all about your circumstances. He knows all about your situation. But he wants to come to you this morning and encourage you to keep going. Adam read from Psalm 136, didn't he, this one? Can you just find it again, Adam, in your version? In in my version, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. But in your version, it had a slightly different take on it, didn't it? Slightly different translation. This is now Adam's test to how quickly he can find Psalm. Thank you very much. God's, praise the Lord, he is good. God's love never fails. God's love never fails. Fails. I feel that's God's word to some of you this morning. God's love does not fail. Keep pressing on. Keep, keep going. James wants to encourage his readers to persevere. And perseverance comes through testing. And so as you're in that test, you have an opportunity to persevere. Now, no one likes being in tests, do they? I've never met anyone who likes a test, whether it's an exam at school or at uni, uh, whether it's a test of life and circumstances, no one likes it. But friends, all of us go through them at one stage or another. None of us are immune to life's tests. 
and trials. And if you've been immune so far, then that's great. I'm thrilled for you. I don't want to be de- depress you this morning, but you know, I'm sorry. It's, you know, you're going to be tested at some point. That's just how it is. That's just life. You might as well accept it and you know, understand that so you're not shocked when it happens. But the Bible is clear, not that you won't go through tests, you will. But the Bible is clear, Jesus wants us to persevere through them so that he might then give us, give you that crown of life. So, so James wants us to persevere. You see, testing can produce perseverance. It's not guaranteed. Just has, uh, how going into the maths exam is no guarantee that you're going to pass it, is it? You might sit down, you might write your name at the top, and then you turn over the paper and you can't for life you remember what calculus is. I can't remember what calculus is. And you think, oh no, I learnt that, but I, oh, I can't, oh, no, I just, and you just walk out. So you might have, you know, attempted it, but just because you attempt it doesn't guarantee you a result. Which well, is the same with, with this perseverance, I think. You know, sometimes we can just think, I've had enough, I'm out of here, and run away. But actually, if we persevere and keep going, then that helps us develop perseverance for the future, which is good. And Jesus is there saying, hey, I can give you a crown for this. You get this winner's trophy as you persevere through it. Unfortunately, perseverance is not a spiritual gift. I was looking at this week, I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if perseverance was a spiritual gift and you could say, Lord, please give me perseverance and God will just drop it in you like that. And you'd be the most persevering person ever. Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't you like that? I was thinking, Lord, why can't perseverance be a spiritual gift? You know, I know speaking in tongues is. I know other things are. Why can't perseverance be on that list? But that's not how it happens. It's not even like wisdom. Wisdom is different. You can ask God for wisdom and he gives it to you. Perseverance, friends, comes from persevering. I looked up the word in different translations. NIV has perseverance. The uh, ESV has steadfastness. It's a good word. The uh, New American Standard Bible has endurance. And the literal translation of the Greek is probably best put endurance. Steadfastness, constancy, endurance. Dictionary says in the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith. Not being swerved, persevering. See, perseverance brings maturity. Mature Christians are those who have persevered. I want to ask you this morning, are you persevering? In life's trials, whatever they may be, I don't know know all of you here, so I'm well aware that I do not know all your situations and circumstances. But friends, Jesus does. And his encouragement to all of us this morning is to persevere. I feel God will want to come to you this morning. If you're thinking, yeah, it's right, you can say that, but it's actually quite tough. (laughs) I feel God wants to bring fresh grace this morning to those of you who are persevering in life's trials and um, tests. Father, let me just just pray now. I'm going to pray right now. And if, if this is you, then you don't have to stand up or come to the front or anything. I just want you to open your heart to God. Father, I want to pray right now, Lord, is right in the middle of this preach, I pray for any, Lord, who are persevering 
under trial or test. And I pray, oh God, for a fresh grace this morning to keep persevering, to keep going, to finish well, to receive that prize that you have for them. Fresh grace, let it come even now, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, encouragement, please. Fresh grace to persevere in Jesus' name. Please do it, Lord. If you persevere under a trial, you will receive rewards. Paul says this in Romans 5. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Friends, be encouraged this morning. Keep persevering. God wants to help you handle trial as well. But secondly, we look at here in, in James chapter 1, is receiving wisdom. So thrown in there, almost as an aside by James, is a comment about wisdom. And he basically says, ask God for it. And if you ask God for it, then you'll receive it. Who'd like a dose of wisdom this morning? More of you, okay. That's good. See, we, we need wisdom, don't we? I need wisdom all the time. I, I, you know, in, in my job, I need a whole dose of wisdom. You know, sometimes it's every phone call or, or email, I'm thinking, God, I need wisdom now. I need to know what to say. I need to know how to respond. You know, I'm thinking, Lord, I need wisdom. And what answer to give? When to confront, when not to confront. How to respond to, to pastoral challenges. How to respond to needs. I'm thinking, God, I need wisdom. But hey, the good news here is, if you ask for wisdom, then God says that he'll give it to you. But, and there's a but there in verse 6, if you've got a Bible open in front of you, have a look at it. But, when he asks... He must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed around, tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. You think, ooh, a bit harsh, James, isn't it? You know, it's a bit, bit, bit critical. But I think it's true. When you ask for wisdom, believe that God has given it to you, and then act on it. So that's what it means practically. Ask, receive, and act on it. And when you've got it, enact upon it. See, wisdom is no good unless you do something about it, is it? Unless you act upon it. You have to put your faith into action. More of that next week. But it's true. So I'm thinking, Lord, I need wisdom now to know what to say to somebody. I'm only going to know if God has given me that wisdom by then saying it. And hopefully, over time, I get to hear God's voice clearer. And when I come out with something, (laughs) one hopes it would be more likely to be that which God has given me to say in a situation. And I wouldn't pretend to get it right every time. I don't think any of us would, actually. But I found God to be gracious and to give wisdom when I've needed it. Maybe you need wisdom this morning. I think God wants to give wisdom this morning. And then thirdly, handling temptation. 
Let me ask you, how do you react when you're tempted? How do you react when you're tempted? Note the wording of the question. It's not if you're tempted. It's when. And friends, it's important to settle this one now. You need to answer this question right here, right now. Because it's not a question you need to answer in advance. You need to be able to answer it really clearly so that when you are tempted, you've already decided in your heart what you're going to do. You've already decided what you're going to do in that situation. Now, it's not that you're going to go through every permutation and situation of life and work out what you're going to do in advance. I'm not suggesting that. What I am suggesting is you've decided in your heart what your default response is going to be when you're tempted. You've made that decision before God. You you know what you, you want to do. You see, it's no good in the moment of temptation to be wondering about what you should do. You need to have settled it in advance. So that in that moment of temptation, you can then put into action the sort of thing you've decided in your heart to do. In some situations, your response when you're tempted ought to be the same as Joseph. Genesis 39, when Potiphar's wife tries it on with him, making some advances to him. What does Joseph do? He gets up and runs. He's just out of there as quick as possible, leaving his coat behind. But he's just out of there, running as far away as possible from the source of temptation. So in situations like that, you run. You, know, you run like the wind. You get out of there. You're just, as quick as you can, you're away. But in other situations, you're responsible not to run, but to stand. To stand firm. To not be prepared to give up your convictions, your values. So I don't know, maybe your boss comes to you tomorrow morning. You've just submitted some test results from the project you're working on. And you've submitted the data, true as it is, from the lab. And uh, your boss comes to you and says, Hi, hey, this test you ran, these results, they're just not great, you know. <laughs> it's, it's not looking good. Uh, I need you to rework the results a little bit here. You know, we're not going to be able to sell these to the clients. You know, this is not going to be good for the project. You need to... You need to change this. What do you do then? What do you do then? Your boss says to you, you need to change this. Can you do that? Your response needs to be something like, I'm sorry, I I can't do that. You know, these are the results. Depending what your job is, people's lives may depend upon them. That's just, they're just the results. And, you know, we can explain them and talk about what happened, but we can't get away from them. I'm sorry, I I can't change them. You need to stand firm. Not be prepared to give up on your values, what's important to you. You need to stand. You see, trials will come. They may come in the form of temptation. They may come in another form. Some of them will come from within you, as James describes your own uh, evil desire, and others may come from without. Satan tempting you to sin, maybe. But bear in mind, he knows what your weaknesses are, so they, they may be a, a combination of those two things there. Stand firm. Be steadfast. 
be encouraged because Paul reminds the Corinthians this. He says, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, he says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. It's good, isn't it? Write that one down. So when you've resisted, when you've stood firm, what do you do? What do you do? Well, verse 2 of James 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Alex Mateer, in his commentary on James, says, uh, he argues that James is concerned about our own personal walk with God. Forget about others for a bit, he says. What is your life with God like? What is your life with God like? And he goes on to talk about steadfastness, might say endurance, steadfastness, perseverance. He says, steadfastness is consistent living for Christ. Steadfastness is consistent living for Christ. That's a great description. So how's your personal walk with God? Are you consistently living for Christ? Before we leave this section, and we're going to start wrapping up in in a couple of moments, there's a question that many Christians have, and it's this. What if you don't stand firm? What if under that trial or temptation, you didn't stand firm? You didn't run when you should have run, you stayed around. (laughs) Or you didn't stay around when you should have run and you ran away. (laughs) What did you do? Is there any hope? Or have you just blown it and that's it? What do you do? Well, the Bible is really clear, friends. Really clear on this one. Firstly, you repent. Just like you did when you first came to Christ. You turn away from it, you repent, you come back to God. Repent to him, to anybody else you may need to. And then we get a promise in the Bible, in 1 John 1 verse 9. John says this, maybe you know the verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if you confess your sin to God, honestly repent of it, turn around, go in a different direction, that's what repent means, God promises to forgive you. Let's be clear, this is not a license to sin. This is not an excuse for easy living and thinking, I can just get away with anything, say sorry to God and it'll all be alright. That's not what the Bible is saying here. What it is saying is there is grace. If you repent, if you confess your sin to God, repent and turn away from it before him, there is grace and there is forgiveness open for you. It's important we understand it. It's important we walk that line as well. Because sometimes people can think, hey, it means I can do what I like. (laughs) That's a misunderstanding of what it says. 
And by the same token, people think, oh, I've, I know, I've messed up, there's just no hope now. No, no, that's not what it says either. It says that God is faithful and just. And it says if we confess our sin to him, he'll forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Friends, this is grace in action. And it's available to us this morning. It's available to you this morning. Whether you've never come to Christ, whether you've never turned away from your sin, or whether you have, or whether there are things that you need to repent of, God's grace is available to you this morning. So let's wrap up. Let's conclude. Firstly, be prepared for trials. They will come. Don't be surprised. Be prepared for them. Look for God's grace in them. And keep going. Run to win the crown. One, run to get that reward at the end. That well done, good and faithful servant. The crown of life that Jesus wants to give you. Run to get it. Keep going. Persevere. Endure. Be strong. I feel too God, God wants to give wisdom this morning. Maybe you think actually you need wisdom in a, your situation in life. I feel God wants to give wisdom this morning. Wisdom where you need it most. And when it comes to handling temptation, I feel God wants to speak to some of you this morning that you might know when to run and know when to stand firm. I feel God wants to develop perseverance as we finish now. God wants to remind us to persevere. Ask God to help you. He will. Hebrews 12, we'll finish with this, verse 1 to 3. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's stand together. Maybe if the band you could come up again, please, guys, if you'd come and serve us. Don't grow, grow weary. Don't lose heart. Persevere. Keep going. Be steadfast. Run the race to win the crown. Receive wisdom from God. Know how to respond to temptation when it comes. I'm going to pray and Mike's going to lead us in a song. And uh, I'd like us to pray this morning for people. And I think there are a few categories. Maybe you can respond to anything that we've looked at this morning. But particularly, I felt I wanted to pray for people who are thinking, oh, it's just tough. I'm, I'm nearly giving up. I feel God wants to give grace this morning. To not give up, but grace to persevere. And maybe to others, there's grace that's needed to repent. Maybe for the first time, or maybe to return to God again to repent once again and come back into that relationship maybe you had with him some time ago but grace to repent for you 
And maybe for others, I feel God wants to give wisdom this morning. If you're thinking, I just don't know how to respond. Be it this situation in my family, this situation at work, this situation with maybe your friends. I feel God wants to give you wisdom. That you might know what to say, what not to say, how to say it, how to respond. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this letter of James. Thank you for such wisdom there is in it. Even in these, these opening verses, Lord, in this first chapter, Lord, there's much we haven't looked at here. But for these few things we have, I pray, Lord, you speak to us. And Father, for any who would want to receive prayer and encouragement from you afresh this morning for these things, I pray, Lord Jesus, come fresh grace in each of these situations that, Lord, there might be many who from this morning would have fresh grace and energy in you to persevere. Come, Lord Jesus, I ask it in Jesus' name.